Hi, I'm Megan. And I'm Sarah. We're two moms with eight kids between us from preschool to teen. This is the show where we help you feel better about the mom you are and share our own parenting tips and personal stories. We're not experts. We're parents who've been there. We're not perfect. We're real. Welcome to the Mom Hour. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 135. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. We should have outtakes at some point. If we weren't giving Johnny like 30 (laughs) seconds to edit this, I would ask him. Sorry, Johnny. Okay. We should just let this roll. We should just like have this be the opening. (laughs) Okay. I'm I'm not even joking. If you're hearing this, listeners, it's not a mistake. We just decided to give Johnny the week off. I can't. I don't know how to read high numbers. Okay. Okay. Try again. Do over. Hey, everybody. And welcome to episode 135 of the Mom Hour. I am Megan Francis here as always with Sarah Powers. And if you're a new listener, we don't usually start out cracking up, but I have a real problem <laughs> ever since we crossed over into more than 100 episodes. I can't figure out how to say it. You guys, Megan's a really smart, savvy person. This is just like a, you know, we all have our hangups. It's a mental is, block. I is. feel like one three, like I feel like 135 does not give it the gravitas that it deserves. But I, I'm not sure that us giggling through our intro gives this show the gravitas it deserves. Okay. Either. 135 sounds very pompous. Yeah. 135 sounds like a robot, but I kind of like it. So anyway, hey, everybody, it's the holiday and we are having yeah, it's fun the day today. after Christmas. <laughs> the Hopefully day after Christmas when you're listening you to this. Had a great or Christmas. Soon after. <clears throat> and um, today we're doing something that we like to do every now and then. And we actually this is a part two. Um, our last week, we also did this. We took listener questions and answer them on air, which is always a lot of fun because people send us really great questions and very detailed. And I love the peek into our listeners' lives and yeah. their issues. I love the going down kind of memory lane. Yeah. Sometimes it brings me back to a place I haven't been in a long time. Well, and, and sometimes our advice is as simple as like, oh yeah, that sucks. Hang in there with that one. Right. Exactly. But, That's not going to get better for a while, but. But I think it's helpful for everybody to hear what everybody's going through. It also allows us to touch on a lot of different parenting topics in a short amount of time in different age ranges. So we definitely have some different age, kid age questions for this episode. So Mm, yeah, it'll be fun. Last week's was all holiday related. Um, I will say if you are still in holidays, Christmas is behind us, but if you're still in like family vacation mode um, and if your kids are already fighting over the toys they got yesterday, go back and listen to last week's show because there's a lot that has to do with kind of overbearing in-laws and like the whole, the whole rigmarole so yeah it's not all prep it's definitely no more like it's living like in the holiday season yeah when you're in yeah. it yeah yep yeah so we're gonna get to that in a little bit um but first we want to talk about our first sponsor today which is fabfitfun we're really excited to have them back um fabfitfun is a subscription box that you're probably familiar with the, the concept but it's seasonal and you get full-sized beauty products, fitness products, fashion and lifestyle products. So you're not getting trials. You are getting full-sized products. Including and like articles of clothing, clothing and accessories. Like, like full-on yeah. articles of clothing. Um, it retails for $49.99, but the value is always over $200. And I would say I've had two FabFitFun boxes now. I would say the value is well over $200. Yeah, I think it creeps up near $300. There's always a couple of things in there that alone should cost $50. Yes, absolutely. that's the total of the box. I also love the quarterly aspect. For me, that seems like a really 
great interval where your wardrobe might need a little bit of spicing up. The seasons are changing, so you're feeling like you want to accessorize differently. And we've talked about this before, Megan, but it's like having a younger, cooler friend yes. put together a box of awesome stuff and send it to you. It just feels um, a little bit indulgent because we don't, as moms, we don't always shop for ourselves, but also very carefully curated. It's not, it's not junk. It's not stuff that's going to go to the bottom of your, you know, medicine cabinet or whatever. Yeah, you're so right. Okay, so some of my favorite things from this <clears throat> latest one, and I'm curious what your favorite things were. Yeah. But um, there's a Hava mineral hand cream, yes. which was amazing, and it smells so delicious. It's so um, nice. It's so nice. And there, the choker necklace is gorgeous. Oh, you know what? I, I have to find that. It was so delicate that I want to say I put it away somewhere safe, and I haven't worn it yet. Thank well, you. Get for it back out because it would yeah. be perfect for like like a New Year's Eve party or something. Yes, if you're going to something like that. Dangles and- down into the décolletage. <laughs> Ooh, décolletage. You speak French, huh? Um, and also, we got that awesome poncho. Yes, I have been wearing the poncho constantly because yeah. I can wear like a t-shirt and jeans, and then put over this. It's kind of reversible. It's like you got a black. That yeah, day. and it looks like I'm. You know, I've got multiple compliments on it. Looks like I, you tried. It looks like I tried. I have to say, so there is. It's called Dose is the name of the brand, and it's um an eyeshadow palette, and it has a yeah. bunch of different colors. Which I have to say, I haven't bought. I like eye makeup, but I have not bought a palette like that with a bunch of different colors probably since I was a teenager. But it's really nice, and it has one color that is like a neutral base and there's more of it than the other colors. Does that make sense? So like put that over your eyelids and then play around a little bit with some of the other colors. And I I'm wearing it every day. I love it. So I have to tell you that I was just thinking how whenever I buy eyeshadow, which isn't that often, I always buy like the same three colors over and over and over. And so um, I had the Dose uh, palette and I was just in a play. Nice. So I brought that to be like my stage makeup and it was so I mean it's not like it's garish or anything because it's a small theater no but, but there's some it, yeah it was really nice like it stayed on really nicely it went on very naturally so I didn't have to worry about making myself look bad because you know sometimes you ever like play with eyeshadow yeah yeah and you just keep adding more to see what happens yeah. and it never got I mean it just looked good it was great and I like yeah. having all those colors I never would have purchased no so, that's yeah. that's been a go-to for me since it arrived so you guys this is the type of stuff that comes in a FabFitFun box but again every season it's going to be um, a new surprise. So $49.99 is what the box retails for, but our coupon code the mom hour will save you $10 off your first box. So making all of that stuff $40. Um, I just feel like I just feel like this is such a great thing, especially for moms who don't get out to shop except for Target. And we love our Target. Exactly. But these these are higher end brands and they're brands that, like I said, really well curated and stuff that you wouldn't probably pick up for yourself in the drugstore aisle. So if if you're not going to do it for yourself, let let FabFitFun do it for you. Yeah, Huge four fans. times a year you can get like a little surprise in the mail and it is very, very fun. Yeah, totally. So that that, pot, that uh, code is the mom hour and you can go to FabFitFun.com to use do it. Do it. Do it, do it. Do it. All right, okay. so should I jump into our first question? Let's do it. Okay, here it goes. This question is coming to us from, I want to say it's Mason. Yes, it's Mason. I actually followed up to ask her because I did not want to butcher her name. She wrote us a very sweet letter. So it's just pronounced Mason. Oh, just Mason. Yeah. Okay. Hi, Mason. Okay, here's the question. Hey, Megan and Sarah. I am 35 weeks pregnant with a baby girl and have a two-year-old little boy. In the past week, he started jumping up out of bed, coming out of his room, and standing at the top of the stairs multiple times after bedtime. I started a bedtime routine with him when he was five weeks old and have really stuck with it ever since. He's always been so amazing with bedtime, so this has thrown us for a loop. We've tried everything, silently putting him back to bed, turning all the lights and TV off to make it look like we're in bed too. (laughs) Love that. Um, (laughs) We've tried letting him sit up there for 10 or 15 minutes, but we always have to go back up to get him in bed. He'll eventually stay in bed after about an hour of this, 
and there's no rhyme or reason as to what actually finally makes him stay there. Any advice? I'm really worried that when his little sister comes, this is going to get far worse. Help. Oh, okay. Mm. Can I go okay. first? I have yeah, so much to do. say. First okay. of all, they the toddlers, they have a spidey sense for when a, a new baby is about to come. Did you? Do. I don't know if you remember this, but they know... Something is changing. It's like how a dog knows an earthquake is coming or something. Like they just. Yes. And, and let's just also get this out of the way. I know you're going to go first. I'm going to let you, I'm (laughs) going to let you finish. But also two-year-olds have a way of shaking things up. So I've never subscribed to like terrible twos, but I do think they're like unpredictable twos. And I've heard the saying easy baby, hard toddler. And in Mm. my case, it was true four out of five times. Yeah. And I was going to say, too, that if you are a bedtime routine and structure person, which you guys all know I was, and it sounds like Mason is, um, there's something just it just rocks your world when what you've done and what has worked for so long no longer works. Now, where you and I are in parenting, Megan, we know that this is going to happen. Like what what works for a while eventually is going to blow up and not work anymore. But when it's your first kid and you've been really structured about bedtime and they've been a really good sleeper, I remember this and I remember feeling like it was almost like personally insulting. Like, right, like I work so I put in the work. Like I put in the work. <laughs> yeah. I have the routine and like I don't deserve this. So I guess, first of all, we're just sort of empathizing and, you know, it's normal. I mean, almost all of our answers start with, yep, this is normal. doesn't mean it's not difficult. So I want to really quickly um, give a couple of like specific ideas and anything with sleep, sleep training, routines. It's there's like we can't do it all in five or 10 minutes here um, because every kid is so different. What works for you and your family is so different. But I do have a couple of specific ideas. Um, One is to start the bedtime routine earlier. And I know that's probably not what you want to hear, but um, starting it earlier and making sure that you're not cutting short the sort of connecting time that's built into the routine, whether it's snuggles or story or talking, you know, the and I know that's hard to hear when you're nine months pregnant and you have a two-year-old, but um, you can trade off with a partner, whatever you have to do, but making sure that they they still get that routine and start earlier if you think that there's going to be a battle because you don't want an overtired two-year-old the next day. So if, if you're going to have to go through this, you might as well kind of bump everything up and start the start the nonsense earlier is one idea. Um I would make sure that the toddler's getting plenty of kind of one-on-one time during the day, that their sort of emotional, social cup is filled. You know, bedtime, a lot of the kind of anxieties come out at bedtime, behavior stuff comes out. So these are more just proactive things you could be doing. Um, Another thing that we have done over various bedtime battles is make sure that the less desirable parent is doing the putting back in the room. And I'm Which parent I still is less desirable well, in it, your house. Well it depends. It it depends yeah. on the kid and it depends you know how kids want mommy or they want daddy. Yeah. So absolutely. um this I feel like this way you're still responding and the child is still getting responded to. They're not getting ignored. Um but you and I will tell one of my kids like, okay, mom's done for the night. If you call out again, it's going to be dad. <laughs> and yeah. sometimes Brian is the less desirable. Sometimes he's the one they want. So pick the less the the parent that's going to have less of a cause less of a reaction or less of a power struggle. Um, is is what I was going to say. And I also will say if you think there's going to be this battle. I would station yourself. If it were me, I I stationed myself right outside the door. I had a Mm -hmm. book or a podcast or something. And I just knew that for the next 45 minutes, this is what I was going to do. Because in the long term, 
my kids stayed in their bed. They don't come out at night. And so if you're willing to kind of do the work, I would be right outside the door so that the second they open the door, you just and you'll read a lot of sleep training advice like this. You don't say much. You're not mad. You're not punishing them. You're making yourself super uninteresting. You just sort of put them back and then come back out. And you can do that as many times as you want. But I would probably not let that kid wander around upstairs for 10 or 15 minutes hoping he's going to go back on his own because the fact that you're having to go put him back is sort of giving him the reward he's looking for, right? So he's sort of getting what he wants after 10 or 15 minutes. I would just put yourself right outside the door and put him back quicker every time. And it might take 45 minutes or an hour in the beginning, um, but at least you're not, you're sort of being more proactive about it. And then the last thing I was going to say Um, two is a little young for this, but not every two-year-old is the same. I am not above short-term, not bribes, but working toward a goal with things like this where you get to decide what it looks like. But, um, like you could decide that coming out of your room twice for an extra hug is okay. And anything more than two times, you don't get a sticker the next morning. You could do a sticker system where in the morning you get... You know, there's something that you're working toward. Five days of stickers in a row, you get to pick out a toy. Like, I don't think that's the same as bribing. I'm not a briber for behavior, like, all the time. But I think sometimes when a kid is working toward some kind of goal, and this is a goal to stay in your room, um, that some kids respond really well to that. Then And then you're working toward it, toward it together. I think two is a little young for that, but not all two-year-olds, you know, depends. Well, so I that was, was my really fast, say. like, <laughs> I, I was list. just going to say, I think it depends <clears throat> where in the two-year in the second year or the third year, I suppose that they right. are. Um, because one thing I liked about what you said, like giving them like two hugs or whatever. Yeah. I think you can decide what you're willing to give up. Like where are you willing to um, bend a bit or yeah. be generous a bit to make them feel like they're winning a little bit? Yeah. I feel like that's so important for totally. like three-year-olds. And I do think two-year-olds often can understand the idea of if this, then that. Like, yeah. if I do this, then that will happen. And I feel like for often it's as long as they feel like they're being heard or they're getting something out of mm-hmm. it. Because they don't want to put all the effort in to trying to escape either. Just right. <laughs> put back every time. Like, they're trying to get something out of it. And I think that, you know, you can meet in the middle a little bit. And I think sometimes... We can get really legalistic about that and think like, I set a limit and now I have to stick to it. And the limit is, you know, you've been put to bed and now you stay there. Right. But maybe there's some place that you can give. Yeah. And and I think if you decide what that is proactively and still communicate the limit, it's not you're not giving in. Um, Giving in is saying you have to stay in your room all night and And then letting them watch TV with you because you're tired of going upstairs. But it's not giving in if you decide, okay, we're going to, you know, the the new baby's about to come. We're actually going to have a new routine where mommy lies down with you. Maybe we fall asleep together for a little bit. That's I mean, that would be amazing for the two year old. And I don't think that's giving in if that's what you decide is is the routine that works for the family now. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I don't know. Did I cut you off? Do you have more to say? I have nothing more to say because you're the (laughs) sleep expert of the two of us. (laughs) I am very structured about sleep. Um, And I did have kids escape their room more at nap time than bedtime. Um, My kids have always been more to the ones to call, keep calling out for us, more water, more potty, that whole, Mm. that whole thing. Mm -hmm. Um, I will say it kind of ebbs and flows over the years. You'll have a seven-year-old who, won't stay in their room or, you know, well, that's what I was actually thinking when I, when I first read Mason's um, question is just like, this isn't the first, this isn't the last time this is going to happen. This is going to happen again. Yeah. I wouldn't necessarily worry too much about 
it affecting baby because I think by the time it's an issue, like I think by the time your baby is at an age where it's an issue, this phase may have passed. Yeah, totally. So hopefully, and I'm not promising anything, but hopefully the two of them will either go in and out of phases separately if you find it easier to deal with them separately, or they'll go into them together and then you can be miserable for a little while and then super happy for a little while. (laughs) I I also think anytime you're doing, I don't really like the phrase sleep training, but anytime you're having a sleep disruption and you're having to kind of work on it like this, make sure you're having lots of other other things during the day that's fun for you and the two-year-old that you're bonding in other ways. It's not easy when you're you're having, when you're having about sleep all the time. Yeah. When you're having sleep struggles at night, it is, it wears on you mentally and emotionally. And I think all moms know that. So just make sure you're, taking care of yourself in other ways, whether it's getting a little bit of extra rest, getting a break during the day or just or bonding with that two year old in ways so that you don't hate them. I hate to say that, but like, you know, when that such an intense power struggle that you want to make sure that you're continuing to connect in other ways. And another thing I was going to say really quickly is that, you know, if you're 35 weeks pregnant, Mason, and what Which if is you, like 38 you, now, because I right, think we got this. Right. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, Mason, you're 38 weeks pregnant now. Um, and if you are the less interesting parent, as Sarah said, that, you know, maybe it's your husband who should be parked outside the, the door. I think it's OK for you to use that time just to go take care of yourself. Because totally. you will then be like if you're napping or taking a bath or reading a book or whatever. Then finally, when he's down and you have the rest of the evening with your spouse, or maybe you put it off and you have a lunch with your spouse because you fell asleep. Yeah. I just think that it's going to pay off in your well-being. I don't, I've never felt like you need to sit every struggle out together. I agree. There is something to dividing and conquering. I agree. And, and handling things separately so that the person who's not actively handling it can get some rest. I agree. I agree. Totally agree. And you're probably going to be the one up with the baby soon. Let's be honest. I'm yeah, sure exactly. you're, I'm so sure you're... your co-parent's really helpful. But... Yeah. You're putting in your time. You're putting oh. in your time. Oh, man. Been there. <laughs> um, also, I have a link here that I will put in the show notes. When we got a lot of these questions, and a couple of them are really do uh, invite some expert opinions. And you guys know we're not experts. So I have a couple of parenting experts that are my favorites. And I won't go into the articles, but I am going to link to them in the show notes. So I have a good one on this particular topic that we just covered. And our next topic, I actually have several. So make sure you guys check the show notes. And um, I have kind of my favorite parenting writers who do this for a living. um, And you can read what they have to say, too. Real experts, you mean? Real experts. Not people sitting in their closet on Christmas Eve (laughs) or whatever day it is. Okay, should we do our next question? Yes. Okay, this one says, it's from Shoshana, and she says, Hi, Megan and Sarah. I recently found my seven-year-old has been lying more and more. Nothing dangerous, but definitely unfortunate. She told a teacher that her great-grandparent died one day. Not true. And the next day, when I found she hid something in her backpack, I told her not something in her backpack that I had told her not to take to school. She said, I don't remember how it got in there. Mm. Any advice on how to tackle this evolving bad habit? Oh, um... Well, the first thing I want to say is that this is very, very normal. normal. Do not worry that you are raising some, you know, kind a sociopath, of, like sociopath kids, especially seven. I actually remember telling some whoppers at seven and being very confused about whether they were true or not. And mm. I, I, it's hard to remember. I don't remember being seven super clearly, but I rem- that's kind of one of the first years I remember um, in a more, I don't know, adult way, I yeah. guess, where it's not like I'm looking through this. Um, foggy, almost like I'm looking at someone else, but I'm me. Yes, I know what you mean. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I totally do. And I remember saying things sometimes that were just ridiculous. And I think, you know, and developmentally by actual experts, this has been shown that like 
you're still figuring out what is fact and what is fiction at that age. You're still kind of sorting out like how the real world is separate from your fantasy world. So it is very normal. And I think sometimes getting a reaction of some sort mm-hmm. can make it become a little more embedded. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's like a dangerous thing, like because the teacher said probably like, oh, my goodness. And then she got, you know, probably some kind of validation from that. Sure. That doesn't mean now she's going to go in and say her whole family died or something. <laughs> but I just think that when a kid gets a reaction that they're kind of looking for, yep. it kind of then opens the door to try a little like and a little it, more it gives them a little rush of power, which probably yes. is what this particular seven-year-old, for whatever reason, is feeling right. like she wants a little agency, a little power in the world. And yeah, there's a little rush to thinking, I can sort of create yeah. my reality. Let's see yeah. how, let's see what people will buy. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, one of the things that I think is really tempting to do in, and probably is the worst thing you can do, is to like, like ask a leading question or back a kid into yes. a corner. Um I remember being backed into corners when I was a little kid, not by my mom. She was very savvy about that, but by other adults <laughs> in my life. And then it's like, you just stick to the lie. Yep. Cause you're so, not going to now give it up. So that actually <laughs> that I'm glad you brought that up because I did read a couple articles on this because lying is a, is a tough one. I feel like that is a question that I, I wanted to know what the experts say, even though I know yeah. it's totally normal. And, and so I read up a little bit and across the board, one of the first pieces of advice is don't ask questions that invite a lie. You don't yeah. ask, did you clean your room? Like I asked you, you walk in and you say, huh, I noticed I you didn't clean your room. Let's <laughs> right. spend a little more time on that together before you go play. You don't ask, did you, you know, did you wash your hands after you went into the bathroom? You, you say, I know that you didn't wash your hands. Please go back and wash your hands. So that was, I'm so glad you brought that up. Cause that was one of the ones in all three articles that I will link to is don't give opportunity to invite lies. Um, Another couple of things that came up is that kids who are punished for lying w- tend to lie more. That's just statistics. That's just the studies have shown yeah. um, and that they will get better at it. So as opposed to punishing, um, I think modeling honesty, really appraising a kid for honesty and talking about how it's not always easy to be honest. A lot of kids lie because they want to avoid getting in trouble. Yeah. And that's like one of the big drivers, especially not a three or four year old who's just making stuff up, but but a seven or eight year old who's they're getting lying. savvier, but they're not savvy enough to be good at it yet. Right. So <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know how that got in my backpack, <laughs> yeah. but a huge driver um, is that they are they're trying to avoid disappointing us or avoid getting in trouble. So if we can make it safe to tell the truth and in your own way, you know, compliment them when when you say, you know, I know that was hard to admit. I know I know it's not easy to tell you the truth. I'm really proud of you for telling the truth. So praising the truth, um, not giving not letting them get into situations where lying is convenient, like we talked about. Um, And yeah, and the studies do do show that, like you said, the bigger the reaction or the kids who are punished for lying um, tend to get better at it and do it more to avoid punishment because it's a successful a lot of times too and this came up in the reading is like you said with fantasy reality a lot of times lying is wish fulfillment so i'm not sure that a a great grandparent dying is wish fulfillment that's a little bit but having something for people to feel sympathy for you totally having something having attention so yeah if you can (laughs) if you can pay attention to that and not that you're going to fulfill that that wish that they lied about but maybe they are feeling like they they wish they had a little more control in their life or maybe they, you know, and you can say, you know, I, I know you really wish that were true. Again, the grandparent is a terrible example, but I wish great granny. (laughs) No, she's not, (laughs) but you know, you really wish you had won that 
award or whatever it is. Um, So I don't know. Those were the things that came up in the reading that I did. And you basically kind of touched on them all without. Well, I have to also say I'm not an expert and I didn't and I didn't read any expert advice before I started answering this. So (laughs) I have no idea if this next little snippet I'm going to share is of expert value or not. But I will say that Clara, now who is eight, um, has been lying a little bit to me lately. Mm-hmm. And then she rats on herself because oh, Clara has a lot of anxiety. She does not like to do the wrong thing. She does not like to do the wrong thing yeah. either. So she's both anxious and she's a total rules follower. Mm-hmm. But it's been things like I'll say, did you? her job is to feed all the pets. And I'll mm-hmm. say, did you feed the pets? And she says yes. And then a couple minutes later, she'll come in and say, actually, actually, I only fed the dog. Now, the funny thing is, at any point, she could have just gone and fed the cat and the hamster, and it would have made <laughs> right. it true, and I right. never would have known the difference, right. you know? But what I've taken to doing is just saying, oh, well, that's kind of a silly thing to lie about. Why why, why did you not just tell me the truth? And then what she'll say is, well, because I had already, you know, just, just, just an example, but she said, um, I'd already fed one pet, so it was kind of true, mm. and I didn't want to stop what I was doing. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to tell you that I did it so you would let me finish. And so I said, oh, okay, well, next time what you could say is, yeah, I'm going to, I want to, is it okay if I finish this thing first? Yeah. And I think what I learned from that is that she takes so much to heart. If I say, hey, Clara, can you X, Y, Z? Right. She thinks she has to do X, Y, Z right. Like, right now, right. immediately. And really what I'm saying is it, this needs to happen, but right. we've got some leniency. It doesn't have to happen right this But minute. what I love is you played out how it could have gone differently without punishing her, shaming her so that next time she knows she's not going to get in trouble for saying no or for saying, can I finish this? You've sort of given her permission to do that so she doesn't have to lie. And that I think is what seems like the way out of this as opposed to making a huge deal. And it's a little thing, but to kids, nothing is little necessarily. They don't see like one request you make as being, even if I just make it, I'm not even paying attention. I actually don't care if she feeds the cat right right now. She doesn't know that. Right. To her, all things I say are equal, have equal weight. So. And I think yeah. um, saying just like saying that in our family, we tell the truth is like that's it's easy to say. But kids are kids are savvy. And if they are picking up that there are half truths or some BS going on, right. you know, in the family, they pick up on that. So it is a it's a little bit of a good gut check to make sure that we are being honest with our kids, yeah. you know, where every time we can be and that we're talking about how telling the truth is hard and maybe sharing times when it's not easy for us to tell the truth, but it was the right thing to do. So if your yeah. kids are hearing that are hearing you call them in sick when you're going to Disneyland for the day, you know, that's your ultimately that's your choice. Um, <laughs> right. But I, I think I really do try and look for opportunities to have my kids see me telling the truth when it's not particularly convenient or comfortable, because that's. Yeah. That is, that's where they're going to learn it in the end. And I have to, I have to throw in a plug for what you know is already, I've already told you is my favorite book of all time. It's The Tree Grows in Brooklyn. Oh yeah. And I, I need to still haven't read it. I have, I read it, but like literally in eighth grade and I haven't read it since. Okay. Well, do you remember the scene where Francie lie, tells a big lie because she wants to get a doll? No. Okay. I have terrible memory. Well, there's for... a scene where she's little, not that little, maybe nine or 10. No, she couldn't be that little. She, I think the book starts when she's 11. So she's like 11 okay. or 12. And she tells a big lie, a public lie. Because she wants to get this doll. Okay. And then has terrible guilt about it. And then at some point, a like an adult let's kind of lets her off the hook. Okay. It's really well written and it's really just about wish fulfillment. It's yeah. like yeah. you wanted it to be true so yeah. much. You know, yeah. and and that I think 
kids of all ages, it doesn't mean they're immoral. <laughs> you no, know? it doesn't. Or like, it's not like a moral failing on your part or no. theirs. And I guess I just wanted to, like, that's a really good piece of literature that I think oh, did I really well at understanding what it's like to live inside a kid's brain. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I want to reread that book. Thank you for reminding me. Reread it over Christmas. We're going on all vacation right. now. <laughs> I know, almost. Well, Shoshana, that's a really good question. I We have not tackled a question on that, and that's a really common one. So thank you for asking that question. Okay, we're going to take a quick break and tell you guys about Zola. So I know people know people who got engaged over this holiday period because that seems to be when it all happens. So we're excited to tell you guys about Zola. It's a wedding planning and registry site um, that is totally reinventing how all of this is done nowadays, um, yes. which makes a lot of us jealous who <laughs> planned our weddings a long time ago. But over 300,000 couples have used Zola, and it's basically taking everything that's smart and great about the internet and our digital experience now and making wedding registry easy to use and fun, and it's free. Yeah, I I think Zola is great. Um, a wedding that I was just recently in, very good friend of mine got um, fr- good friends of mine got married, and they were registered with Zola, which I used. And I was actually telling Sarah before we started um, recording, I have this weird hang up with giving cash to people who are my peers. Like, <laughs> yeah, I gladly will give cash to younger people, but like if they're my friends and we hang out and we have about the same money, there's some amount of money. There's like something about that that feels very transactional to me. So I love the ability to give gifts. Mm-hmm. And what I loved about Zola is instead of just physical gifts, although they have plenty of those as well, like you, there's all these department stores that are linked in. And so there was a nice selection of gifts from different stores. Um, but you could also do things like contribute to their honeymoon. Yes. Um, buy classes, subscriptions. And so I ended up getting them this really cool prohibition um, like a prohibition tour. Awesome. That came with drinks and stuff. And it's it's just something cool that like maybe they wouldn't have registered for it, but I felt like it was more personal than um and I feel just like gifting check. experiences is it is kind of something that is becoming more popular now that we can do that type of thing. And with Zola, you can also, there's also a group gifting feature. So if you wanted to go in on a bigger experience with a bunch of other people, it just makes it super easy. Um, They have a really great app that's for all um, iOS, iPhone, and iPad. And so the couple can manage everything using that app, which is also really cool. That's Um, really awesome. But it's not just registry. So you can also set up your wedding website with Zola. And then, of course, the registry integrates automatically with the wedding website. And it's just a beautifully designed site. And everything just kind of integrates really nicely, both for buying the gift and also for the couple planning the wedding. So, yeah, yeah, it's just great. It is great. And we have a great offer as well. So if you want to receive a $50 credit towards your registry and, you know, why wouldn't you? You can sign up with Zola. So go to Zola.com, that is Z-O-L-A.com slash The Mom Hour, and you'll get a $50 credit toward your registry. Again, that's Zola.com, Z-O-L-A.com slash The Mom Hour. Yeah. So go tell all of your newly engaged yes. friends this, to check this out will Zola. make their, the lives of all of their friends <clears throat> and guests much easier. So they totally. should totally do that. Totally. Okay. Is it your turn to I think set it's up my our turn, next question? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I just have to tell you, my cat will not leave me alone. I wish I could capture her purr. Maybe I can. I'm going to hold the I'm going to hold my mic up to her her purr box. Can this be in the show, please? Yeah, no, this is yeah, this is totally going in the show. I'm not putting this out. <laughs> but she's you can't hear her purr. Oh. Uh, she's ridiculous like she won't stop. Okay, moving on. Okay. Um here we go. This one's from Beth in Ontario. 
Hi, Megan and Sarah. Oh, she says some nice stuff about the podcast. And, and she also listens to, read to that us at 1.5 speed, which makes That me is so funny. Okay, I'm going to actually read this. She says, I've been listening on 1.5 speed, so in my head, you are really fast talkers. <laughs> I actually am kind of a fast talker. No, we so both are. On we both are. 1.5 speed, we just sound ridiculous. Um, but anyway, she says, here's the question. I am a mother of a two-year-old and a four-month-old who are almost exactly two years apart, less a few days. My question is how to put a baby to bed or nap with a toddler running around. I often want worry about the toddler in the other room while I'm trying to get the baby to sleep. Oof, man, I lived in this. And, you know, Sarah, you and I handle this very, very differently. I fear that my advice isn't great. No, I I think it's just, yeah, it's this isn't one where it's like, however it works, do it. So I think your advice will be. My advice was always like pile up in a bed. Yeah. And in my days when I was doing this, we didn't even have iPads. Right. So, so you didn't even have like, here, I'll sit over there with this iPad and right. I'm just going to like nurse the baby and you deal with that. You know, it was more like you had to have something going on for the two-year-old or you had to try to get the two-year-old down first. Right. Yes. And then put the baby down. Yes. That was my strategy generally, but sometimes I will admit we all just got in the bed together and laid there <laughs> and I did my best. I would find ways to kind of barricade the two-year-old in my room and then just beg him to be quiet yeah. while I put the baby down. So I'm not sure those are really, that's very good advice, except it is the, like, uh, this isn't, you know, this isn't going to last forever, but what yeah. you're in right now is really tough. Yeah. So I do remember this as well. And my first two are exactly two years apart, two years and a month. Um, I will say that not all two-year-olds are created equal. I don't know how yours were, but I had some two-year-olds that really, I didn't have to worry about if they were out of my sight. Like I could kind of hear them bopping around and my house was baby proofed, but it wasn't like they were going to be swinging from the ceiling fans. And then I had one that would be swinging from the ceiling fans. I'm not exaggerating when I say I still have that feeling. Violet is almost five. And I still sometimes get that feeling like, oh my God, where is she? Like, I can't, <laughs> like she, it is not good if she's out of my sight. Not anymore, but it took a long time. So maybe this is a particularly, um, a, you know, adventurous two-year-old. But I, I do think that it's, it goes relatively quickly from when that you can't let them out of your sight at all to where they could maybe be playing in the next room. Um, but yeah, I think this is a hard one. I like the idea of putting a two-year-old down first and then putting the baby down, but that comes down to a schedule or a question of schedules. And maybe it is, that's and, not and you can't schedule. guarantee that. <clears throat> no. Um, I also did a lot of like you piled into beds. I would pile into a big, you know, we had a big rocking chair. I mm-hmm. think you can, the baby doesn't care what stories are read or what the routine right. is necessarily. A four month old is still pretty flexible. Um, so I would probably kind of start with what are the toddler's needs and what are the, what's the toddler's routine look like? Yeah. Um, and and like, yeah, the a four month old pretty soon is going to be, you know, a nine month old or a one year old. And those those guys kind of need their routine a little bit more. But I feel like at four months, they're still relatively flexible. And they're a little more flexible. I remember my four month old still falling asleep in the um, baby swing. Yeah, I remember totally. I, rem- I have a very distinct memory of sitting in the bathroom on the toilet with my two year old in the tub. <laughs> And the baby in a bouncy seat and me bouncing the baby to sleep with my foot yeah. while I cleaned the baby's hair yeah. or the toddler's hair. Yeah. So I think, yeah, it's like the four month old in this situation is the more flexible. I think so. So I they think they sleep it, more, but they'll fall asleep more easily. 
Yeah. And the other thing is, you know, when it's your second baby, you have all of these expectations to do things like you did with your first baby. So with your first baby, they might have gotten a bath and a massage and a story and a song and all of that before every before every nap and every bed. And the reality is that the second baby probably will not, but they'll be more flexible for it. Yeah. Um, I think whatever you can do to have like physically safe space for the two-year-old to play. So I know a lot of people recommend having like a special basket of books or a special thing of toys that the two-year-old gets to play with just when you're nursing or putting the four-month-old down. I think that can work. I think sometimes those those ideas burn out fast. And then right. like you forgot to get the special basket down from the closet. And, you know, yep. so some of it is just grinning and bearing. It, I don't it know. is. Oof. Two and four months, that's tough. It is. So hang in there. We're with you. Yes. And it will get better. It will. <laughs> okay. Um, all right. So our last question comes to us from practically the North Pole, since we're recording wow. this Christmas okay. week. No, it comes from the north of Sweden, um, from Ariel. And she wrote us a really sweet, really long letter. She also told us that she and her friends have monthly dinner parties to discuss our podcast. I might be kind of paraphrasing that, Whoa. but like... That like, puts me in a lot. That's like a lot of pressure. That Right? I hope what we say is intelligent <laughs> yeah um no i thought that was really cool like they kind of That's do very book club though. style yeah, around yeah. parenting topics maybe kind of inspired by right. our yeah, podcast yeah. hopefully you know they're not actually just they're using... probably just criticizing my hair or something yeah. i don't know <laughs> <laughs> we can't see your hair it's audio um <laughs> uh, okay so i'm not gonna read the whole letter but i'm gonna paraphrase her question she has an eight and a seven year old they're 12 months and five days apart so irish to a little irish twins twins, going on there um but i'm gonna distill her question down because i think it's a really good one she's obviously a very intentional mom she has some limits of screen time after school like they're only allowed to do a certain amount but her question is she's her kids when they have quote unquote leisure time like let's say they're not allowed to do screens anymore their homework's done whatever She's wishing that they would get into more um, like run outside and play, ride bikes, build with Legos. And she finds that they're kind of just listing around or not doing the things that she kind of wishes they would gravitate to. And so the really the heart of her question is, how do you find the balance between letting the child do what they want or encouraging them to do what she thinks as a parent is best mm. for them. Now that I think is a really good question because That's a great question, Megan, as your kid, my kids are barely just getting into these ages where they really do have more self-directed time. I mean, you could say that your three-year-old has self-directed play, but it, you're still having to be very much there and involved. Whereas we might have a weekend where my nine and seven-year-olds, you know, they're not, they're not driving themselves to play dates yet, but they really have a lot of, control over how they spend their time. They can go play with neighbors. They can go outside. Um, and I I really relate to this of there's sometimes yep. you'll see that your kid is doing something that you think, God, I wish they would just get up and go ride a bike. So I have I yep. have one kid in particular who's very sedentary. He would he was happy playing Legos and talking to himself for like six hours at a time, which I think there's a lot of great things about that. But I do find myself feeling like I need to kind of balance that by getting him to be more physically active. Now there's other kids who are super physically active and you know, you want them to sit down and read a book. So I, I just think this is such a good question because it is a balance and I want to know what you have to say. Well, <laughs> yeah, I have a lot to say about this. Um, hopefully I won't ramble on too much. Go for I it. think that it's first of all, very, very normal to kids for kids to slip into doing what's comfortable for them mm-hmm. and TV or video games for most kids these days is very comfortable. 
Yeah. They're savvy. They understand how it works. It creates um, the feeling of having done something without actually doing anything, mm-hmm. which I think is why the internet is so <laughs> appealing for adults as well. Like it, it gives us that instant gratification or those instant like little dopamine hits, yeah. right? Um, I think sometimes, so that's one thing. I, I think the whole idea of you having to be the one to enforce turning off the TV sometimes is probably not going to change. No. Because I don't think kids, especially kids who are wired that way, are going to just naturally turn it off themselves and break themselves out of that. Yeah. Um, and that was one thing she mentioned. She kind of wished that they would have this internal drive to to, to just do it themselves. Vary their and activities instead of like. at that age. Yeah. I just don't see that happening. <clears throat> I, agree. I think you're you're going to probably have to be that initiative and not and not to um, hope that they'll do that themselves for the majority of kids. Unless whatever it is they'd be doing instead is that much more appealing to them, like reading right. or whatever. Even kids who are big readers can get sucked into like the more passive. Yeah. Um, the more passive thing. Um, so there's that. There's <laughs> there's also the idea, I think, that kids need a transition time. So. You might turn the TV off and it's almost like they have to be sort of bored and aimless yes. for a long time I before totally they figure agree. out what they're going to do next. So yes. there's there like that rolling be... around, you know, yes. they like, they're not even, ver- they're not even vertical. They kind of like, no, they literally just... like lay on the floor and like roll <laughs> yes. around. It's yes. weird. And it's like, they need that. They, they, they can't transition as quickly as we would like them to, because frankly, they're not that interested in doing that other thing. It doesn't mean they won't get into it, but right now. They would really like to still be watching TV or playing a video game. So it's like they need that built in transition time. And then I guess the third thing I would say is I think for parents who are super intentional, it's really easy to kind of overestimate how much time our kids are doing things that we sort of um, we sort of classify as not valuable. Mm -hmm. And I just want to put it out there that they may be doing more valuable things than you are aware of because yep. you're hyper-focused on the stuff that you don't think is as valuable. Mm-hmm. So just to throw that out there, and I, I'm not saying one way or the other, that might be, not be the case, but I, I think sometimes we can get like almost panicky about things like screen time and yeah. stuff that we, you know, or like you were saying, like the obsession with Legos or the obsession with being outside to the, you know, ex- uh, to the um, exclusion of everything else. Like, I think sometimes we can overestimate that a little bit in our heads or inflate that a little bit in our heads. But I think that the transition time, the need for us to still be in control of it in the transition time thing is are probably the two things that she could actually take action on now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Well, you have been kind of good inspiration for me in this area, especially with older kids and teens, because you have said multiple times on this show that there's value in a kid getting kind of like obsessively into one thing for a while or going through a phase. And I'm not saying like, probably not the iPad is the thing to spend eight hours a day doing, but I don't think that's what Ariel, I think she's pretty clear about her screen time limits, but it's almost as if once they're done with their screen time, she wants them to have this neatly balanced um, diet of, you know, physical activity, playing the piano, um, reading. And I, you have just been, I think, really wise about how it's really natural for kids to, first of all, some of it is just ingrained. Some kids are going to gravitate toward more sedentary or more cerebral things. Other kids are more physical. Other kids are more artistic. But also, it's not a bad thing to sort of let them pursue those paths, um, especially if it's something that's relatively healthy. And I think as a mom, you know when it 
when it veers into unhealthy, you know, the kid is withdrawn or they're irritable or they're anxious. And then maybe they do need more time outside or yeah. more social time or less social time. Are they overstimulated? But I think you probably have a pretty good sense for that. And I think we we get this like kind of external need to impose a I'm picturing like the color wheel of like a balanced mm. diet. You know what I mean? Like 30 yep. percent physical activity and um right. all of that. And that I feel like is what I have worked pretty hard to just let go of, because think about think about the upsides of letting a kid really get into whatever they're into um, drawing yeah. or make believe or it's I mean, called being in a flow state and it's very mm-hmm. hard for parents. It's it's really hard for adults to get into that. I wish I could get into the kind of flow state I could yeah. get into when I was a kid and I could read for six hours at a yeah. time or write for six hours at a time yeah. or play make believe for six hours at a time or whatever it was. I, I like envy that now because yeah. my time and my focus is so much more fractured right. as an adult. And I think that's really natural and normal to be drawn to something uh, almost obsessively yeah. to the exclusion of other things. Yeah. And I don't think it's, I think that we have this idea of balance and being well-rounded, but right. like you and I always say, Sarah, it's about the big picture. Yeah. Over the course of their lives, did they do something besides play Legos? Well, yeah. if then yes, <laughs> great, you know, but it doesn't have to be every day. Yeah. It doesn't have to be like perfectly, like yeah, like a pie chart. I, I agree. And I also think uh, the age of her kids is, interesting here because seven well first of all they're very close in age which means she was hands-on busy for all of her time with her kids for a long long time and I have had this sensation in the last few years where all of a sudden you realize like your kids are all relatively happy doing something and you realize you become kind of irrelevant you (laughs) forgot how like what you should do with that time so Mm -hmm. and then you start noticing like oh man I wish Joey would get off the couch and get a little more physical or I wish. So it's almost like I would encourage her to claim that time as her own because her kids do have something that they enjoy. Now, once they, I, we've kind of talked about the getting off of the screens after an hour, but, yeah. but even then, if what they want to do is roll around on the floor and look at the ceiling, like as long as they're not bothering you, you get, that, that's your time back. Like take exactly. it. So yeah, um, I think, time. I think there's probably a little bit of the fact that this is a transition. She has had to be such a hands-on parent for so long with yes. two kids spaced so closely that it's kind of weird that now there's they are more self-directed and you find yourself being like well they could be doing this or we could be doing this enriching activity and I think you can let a little bit of that go because it sounds like she's already really thoughtful about how she does things Mm -hmm. and so pat yourself on the back and then if they're happy no matter what they're doing let them do it and do some do something and to add on to that Sarah I think as well if if she takes the initiative herself to use that time and use it for herself, they'll see that. Yes. And that is also great modeling. So they'll see her doing whatever it is she wants to do. And maybe it'll be one night cooking and maybe the next night some kind of art. You know, who knows? But she might also find that it inspires one or or both of her kids to um, shadow her a little bit. Totally. And learn more about what she's doing. So there's lots of ways to make that happen in your house without having to like necessarily kind of have a rule around it totally and also this is sort of shameful but do you know what else I do if my kids are uh, kind of getting squirrely at home and you know I'm mostly a homebody I love to putter around my house but if the kids are starting to get bickery or bored 
I just invent something that's not that fun, and I say something like, <laughs> okay, so it's up to you guys. Do you guys want to stick around here for a little bit and do your own thing, or do you want to come with me to the post office? And they're, they're like, we want to stay here. I'm we like, okay, here. well we then something find something to do. Leave me alone. Yeah, <laughs> And exactly. I know it's not like a threat because I'm real sneaky about it, but I'm like, right. okay, so we could either go to the gym. They like our gym <laughs> childcare, yeah. but they don't. They don't like beg to go there. Right. So I'll be like, okay, well, I was going to go to the gym, but if you guys, if you, if you're really want, if you're happy here and you're going to play nicely together, I guess we could stay here and I could get stuff done. <laughs> so I totally do Love that. It. Um, okay. So I think we can wrap up. This is really good. These are really good questions. They um, were really good. So be sure to check the show notes at themomhour.com, especially with our first two questions about escaping at bedtime and lying. Um, I have some really good articles for you guys um, by real experts. Um, <laughs> so that's at themomhour.com. And this is our final episode of 2017. And when we were waiting to record, I just did the quick math and we put out more than 60 hours of mom hour content wow. this year. That's amazing. Between 60 and 70 hours just in 2017 wow. so high five to us for hopping on the mic big old high five week after week. and this is yeah this is our last episode of 2017 which is crazy yeah. crazy <sighs> so we will be back with you guys next week like talking we about what are. we did in 2017 yeah we'll do fun. a little new year uh retro old year and new year retrospective next week so we will talk to fun. you guys then 